Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, I'm just so excited to meet new faces all, all the time out there on the patio and always uh, just really encouraged and surprised sometimes that you come back. So uh, I'm just kidding. Thank, thanks for being here. I am one of the pastors. And I want to just repeat something uh, before I get started here that Becky mentioned. You know, we have our Christmas Eve services uh, on Christmas Eve at 3 and 4.30. And man, it, our Christmas Eve services are the best. I don't mean like in competition with other churches. I just love them so much because they're, they're traditional they're focused on family, and uh, we end with, uh, you know, a, a beautiful candle lighting and singing Silent Night. That's just a tradition that's common. So it's a great tradition for you to have with your family to be here and to kind of enter into that, like, intense Christmas season, you know, by focusing on uh, our Lord. And then I want to tell you, it's also a great opportunity to invite your friends and family. So uh, it is such a wonderful service, and I'll do my best to not embarrass you, okay? And then next Sunday, the 29th, um, that's usually a throwaway Sunday in most churches, you know. But I want to tell you something. If Sunridge is your church, I want you to be here next Sunday, and I don't want you to invite people. Um, how often do you hear a pastor say that? The reason why I don't want you to invite anyone is because I don't want to be hindered in any way in talking to you. Those of you who call Sunridge your home church, I want to speak directly to you. I have a title uh, that I've used here before. Uh, it's called Pioneers and Settlers. That's what I'm going to talk about. And uh, they, the, I, I got that idea 10 years ago from uh, pastor, pastor Brian Bell up in um, the Clovis area, pastor of the well, great church, and I took that idea, and I just expanded upon it, and uh, I think it's something that every person that is a vibrant and connected uh, member of a church needs to hear. You need to hear how the church works together with our diversity, and I'm going to be talking to you, and I just don't want guests here. Now, if you're, if you're a guest, uh, you know, I want you to come back because, man, you got to find out now what I'm talking about, right? So, uh, so that's next Sunday. So I know it's going to be hard to get out of your jammies and come to church, but I really want to encourage you, if Sunridge is your home, to do that. Because I'm going to be talking directly to you. It's, it's not as much a sermon as it is a talk to the church. And I want you to hear what I have to say. Um, but today, uh, we're wrapping up this series that uh, we've done in December called The Advent Conspiracy. And what we've been doing is conspiring against what's happened to Christmas uh, in this country and around the world. Um, not in a grumpy Grumperton kind of way. You know, we've been saying that we're not trying to end Christmas. We're trying to give it back to whom it belongs. And so we've been trying to wrestle back Christmas. Um, you know, the greatest threat to Christianity today in this country is not liberalism. It's not fundamentalism. It's not humanism or secularism or any other kind of ism. It's consumerism. In fact, the fastest growing religion in America today is not Christianity or Islam, it's consumerism. And consumerism promises everything that a worthy religion would promise to its followers. It promises us happiness and fulfillment and tr transcendence and security and meaning, but it doesn't deliver. 
Consumerism is a bankrupt uh, religion, but we're sucked into it so easily. And what we've been trying to do in this series is conspire against what's happened to it. And, you know, uh, we've talked about three things thus far that are going to help us do that. One, we talked about worshiping fully. And it all starts there. There, There's so much chaos and so much competition for, for you. And in order for us to be true followers of Christ, we have to worship fully and kind of detach from that and put put the focus of Christmas back on what this celebration is all about, the birth of Christ, and to think about our Lord and Savior. And then we talked about spending less, which is really just confronting the beast face to face, right? It's there. It's after us. And I hope that you've been able this season to like cut loose from some of that pressure to spend things on, you know, spend money you don't have on people you don't even like for stuff they don't even want either. So, um, and then last week, Jed talked about giving more. And we, we weren't just talking about giving money. We're talking about giving of ourselves, as our Lord did. He gave himself. And today, I'm going to wrap this up with, um, and again, the, this, the Advent Conspiracy isn't original with us. There are thousands of churches across America that have done this same series. I'm going to talk about loving all today, because I think it kind of all comes full circle to that for those of us who are Christ followers. And my main thought today is this, and it's in your notes, that today I want us to talk about conspiring to love without limits, to love without limits. So a lot of you have raced go-karts before, you know, or something like that. And have you ever noticed, like, even though you're punching it and you're pressing as hard as you can, there's like a certain speed it won't go above? And it's frustrating, isn't it? Because you want to catch that person in front of you. You know why it won't go faster? It won't go faster because it has a, a speed limiter on it or a governor. And, you know, I think that a lot of us as Christians, we are operating with the same limitation. We have a love limiter on us. And I want to conspire against that, and instead, today, I want to talk about loving all. And I've broken loving all into, like, a series of thoughts that I want to share with you this morning, and that's the remainder of my talk today. First of all, loving all, excuse me, means loving with all of you. Loving with all of you. You know, last week, Jed talked about the Incarnation. And how God loved humanity by giving us his presence. The, the prophet Isaiah that predicted the coming of Jesus and the, and the angel that announced his arrival both said he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now when you think about that, you think about if, if you were God and you were coming up with a plan to reach human beings, to express how you feel about them, that you love them beyond measure, with no limit. And your idea is to be with them. That is what the incarnation means. Did you know that? Incarnate means with flesh. Jesus is God concarnate. He is in the flesh. He's with us. God said, I love people so much 
I'm going to be with them. And then, once with us, he gave his life so that we could be with him into eternity. See, Jesus both, he taught about and he demonstrated the power and the purpose to be with he demonstrated this in the choosing of his disciples in Mark 3.14. Mark writes that he selected 12 of them to be his regular companions. In Jesus' prayer in John 17.24, he prayed, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Isn't it amazing that God wants to be with you or with us? I want them to to be where I am to, so that they can see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. You know, Jesus as the Son of God had a challenging and important schedule just like you and I do. But the reality is that letting our light shine is based on being with. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works. Isn't it like, it should just be obvious that people cannot see our good works unless we are with them. How many of you, in your family, you have a tradition of watching certain Christmas movies? Great. And then uh, some of you didn't raise your hand. I, are you not Christians? You don't watch Christian, uh, Christmas movies? And, and of course, the most Christian movie of all is Elf. <laughs> oh, we got a lot of work to do here in this church. No, I, I love Elf too. I love Elf. Thank you. Thank you for getting my vibe there, by the way, too, Dave. <laughs> um, it's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. Come on, give it up for a Wonderful Life, Donna Reed. And in this uh, amazing uh, theological treatise, um, <clears throat> there's an angel, his name is Clarence. And George Bailey, Jim, Jimmy Stewart, has, has thought about taking his life. And, a, and in the movie, he, the, the angel, Clarence, is showing him how important his life has been to other people. And he says this, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives when he isn't around. He leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? You see, we can't demonstrate God's love from a distance. Jesus didn't even try to do that. Maybe you've been in a long-distance love relationship before. In college, Cindy and I were uh, one summer. And you know that, like, you make the most of that, but, like, it's not enough. Some of you are going to travel to see family on Christmas Day. Or you're going to have family come and see you. And I don't know how you feel about all that, but we do that. Why? We do that because we love our family, or we're supposed to. And we want to be with them. Because when we love someone, we're with them. You know, of when all of my girls were still at home, I had kind of an epiphany moment uh, at dinner one night. And it was Cindy and my three girls and we, we were eating supper, and they were all talking like I was invisible. Which, honestly, sometimes I was grateful for because I just didn't get what they were talking about, and I could just 
you know, travel in my mind to wherever I needed to go. But at that moment, it was really hurting my feelings. And, uh, but I also realized in that moment that why it had happened. Because, you know, I was in the middle of, um, you know, the kind of the peak years of being a fireman. I think I might have mentioned to you that I was a firefighter before. And, um, of course, you know, like a, a firefighter schedule, it's like you can be on for lots of days in a row. Many of you have jobs like that as well. You're gone traveling. So there's that. And then, of course, I was taking every opportunity I could to make a little overtime. And then I was taking classes like crazy to promote, get all these certifications so I could move up. I was ambitious. Um, I had lots of home projects that I was doing, remodeling things. And of course, all that time I was doing ministry here at the church, sometimes 30 hours, 40 hours a week on the side. And you know, I think my family just got used to me not being around. That's what it was. I was not with them. And they got used to me not being with them. You know, when I look at you guys and I look at my life, we, we're all like this bundle of potential. We have so much capacity to help people, to change lives. But you're finite and you're limited just like I am. So we're going to have to be really intentional about where we're going to spend ourselves because there's always going to be the next thing you know when you know you struggle with this then when wherever you are you're never fully there right you're never present you're on to the next thing coaches my whole life used to say to me leave it all in the field which meant in your moment when you're out there give it everything that you have how about we conspire together to leave it all in the field in this way, that we love all in a way that we expend all of us when we're with people. Because that's the only way people experience love. So let's conspire to love with all of us. Now, loving all also means all of them. Loving all means all of me, but loving all means loving all of them, including their warts, weirdness, and waywardness. Now, I know that's a lot to write down, so if you have a note sheet, I'm just going to give you a moment. Their warts, their weirdness, and their waywardness. Does that describe anybody that you know? Can you say family? Can you say office workers? Can you say church? You know, all across this country on Christmas morning, kids are going to be opening up gifts that are super cool, that require batteries. This is a, that's a good reminder, get batteries, if those kind of presents are coming. And, you know, the box will say sometimes, you know, like, awesome toy, awesome video game, batteries not included. You know the thing about people? No matter what kind of package we come in, warts, Weirdness and waywardness, always included with the package. We all come with it. Think about the disciples that Jesus chose to work with. They were just a ragtag bunch of goofballs, if you really think about it. 
First of all, there's Mr. Big Stuff, Peter, right? He always has something to say, isn't always ready to follow through on it. There's, well, I'm not really sure, Thomas, all the time, right? The doubter. There's James and John, which were constantly saying, well, I, my mom wants to talk to you. <laughs> and then there's all of them who are constantly saying, are you sure you know who you're talking to? What are we supposed to do next? And then, of course, there's Judas, who was a devil and, you know, ruined that name forever. Who's ever named their child Judas since this happened? It's like Hitler's mustache. That's just gone. You know, that's, that name and that mustache are never going to appear again. And yet Jesus worked with all of them. And it wasn't that he was blind to their faults. It's not like he didn't see who they were. He often said, oh, you of little faith, talking about them. Sometimes he lamented, lamented, how long must I put up with you? You ever said that? About someone who had warts, weirdness, or waywardness? And here's the thing. The holidays are a microcosm of life because Christmas morning is going to throw you together with people who have all of these. The people that that they're in your circle that you're supposed to love, but yet they're difficult to be with. On Christmas morning, you're going to be with someone who isn't for impeachment. And you're also going to be with someone who is for impeachment. Did you see what I just did there? <laughs> right down the middle. Whatever your opinion is of that, you know, you're likely to be thrown together on Christmas morning with people who have really strong feelings about that and other things. See, even those that are on our obligated to love list aren't always easy to love. They come with warts, weirdness, and waywardness. And you know, it's amazing how often the early Christians, the first Christians, needed to be reminded about this. John, in his first letter, 1 John 3, 23, said, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. So believe, have faith, and to love one another as he commanded us. You ever wonder why the first Christians needed to be reminded of that? Paul, also in uh, his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we have no exception clause given. And Paul's words here, I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious that sometimes it's going to be difficult, even to the point that I'm going to have to be forgiving as Christ forgave. You know, even loving those people that are in our circle is a struggle at times. You know, I'm, I'm kind of of that age right now where, uh, you know, and many of you are that are sitting here, and you're taking care of your parents. All of, we've done that with our parents, and they've all passed on. But you're right in the middle of that, and, you know, they're not always cooperative when you're trying to care for them. But you're loving them, right? And, you know, you, you know and some of you are at the other end of the spectrum. You have children, and you love them with all your heart, but sometimes it's really hard to do the right thing. So like 
By the way, you know, it dawned on me when I was preparing for this message how, like, that's how life is. It's like you, you get married and you learn to get along with one another, and that's like a lifelong process, and then you have kids, and that's like another layer, layer and you go through that, and then uh, they become teenagers, and then you send them off and you think they're done, you're done, but then, like, then you're taking care of your parents. And they're all imperfect. Studying the Bible for me is easy. I love studying the Bible. Writing sermons is really hard. I know I make it look really easy, but it's hard. It's some of the hardest work I've ever done. But you know what's far more difficult than writing a sermon? It's living a sermon. But if you want to grow deep, if you want God to stretch you, go here. Love people with their warts, their weirdness, and their waywardness, and God will grow you. But loving those people that are obligated to us, that's, that's not the end of the story. I'm sorry, there's more. You see, we have this list of the, the people that, oh yeah, I gotta love them, but then isn't it true that we also have categories of people that we feel no obligation to love at all? They're kind of outside of our circle, so they don't make the list. They, they might even, we might even like think of them as enemies, and we might even be content, although a Christian, to hate them. And that's what this next point is talking about. Loving all means loving all. If you're going to be a Christ follower, to follow Jesus it's going to constantly bring you into a place of discomfort. You know, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of their day, and they, they found ways to exclude people from their circle. Uh, they, they accused Jesus of eating with sinners. You know, so, like, we can't hang out with those people. It's too difficult. When a known prostitute comes to wash his feet, um, people ask him, do you know who this is? that is worshiping you. And you know, Jesus' pushback or his teaching to them is like a good shepherd will always leave the 99 to go find the one lost sheep. But I'm not picking on the Pharisees because I think that it's human nature for us to constantly shrink our circle that gets in our love circle. And we shrink that circle uh, by race, by the way people vote, by their economic status or their education, sometimes their religion or their particular kind of religion or their theological position. But what would it take for us, rather than trying to shrink the circle, if we expanded the circle? Just, just a click. Even just moving it a little bit would be hard, wouldn't it? But... Let's not think about how difficult it is just yet. Let me ask you this question. Do you even believe that that's God's calling on you as a follower of him? Because it's easy for us to dismiss our, our responsibility here or the leading of Jesus here and say, well, yeah, I don't have to worry about that, but um, it is God's calling. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 46, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And you know, he's tax collector to his listeners. It's like, they're the worst. And he's saying, the worst of the worst that you know, they love like that. You're no different. And he goes on, he says, and if you greet only your brothers, only those people that are in your oikos or your particular circle, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? People that don't even believe in God do that. And then in verse 48, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, the perfect there in the original language, it isn't like without fault, like perfect. It's, it's mature. That's what it really means. So what Jesus is saying is maturity is defined by our capacity to love people that we're inclined not to love. That's how you measure maturity, according to Jesus. But I think it's even more than that. I don't think it's just how it's defined. I think also maturity is developed by loving people that we're not inclined to love. Don't you find that to be true? If, If there's someone in your circle at work, at home, in your family, are you not stretched by being in relationship with that person? Isn't there something that, not only um, because of your faith comes out of you toward them, but isn't it true that God is shaping you through that person that's difficult, extremely difficult for you to be with? So we all create a naughty list. They're the people that are beyond our love circle and are undeserving. You know, this week I just learned that in one of our local high schools, there's some racial tension. I don't know if you're up on this already, but um, one of the students, an African-American girl, um, another student has written her name with the N-word on walls. Now, I don't know if you know these kids. I'm, I'm not condemning anybody here, but when I heard about it, I have to tell you, it incensed me. And I was really just angry and kind of seething about it and thinking about this kid. And you know, as I kind of like reviewed this message, what happened to me is I asked myself, can I love that kid? Like, and how would I love them? And that kind of made me start thinking, like, what, how has this kid grown up? I don't know, maybe, maybe the parents have, and again, I'm not, like, you might know these families, this is a small town, but I'm not trying to denigrate anybody, but I am saying, like, maybe this kid grew up in that, or maybe his parents were nothing like that. Maybe he's got other problems, and, and they're just humiliated by what has happened. I don't know. But I am asking myself, how do I love everybody involved in that situation? You see, I don't think we have to be threatened by people who think differently than us, that believe differently than us, that have a different faith than us or are against our faith. I think in some way, and and I'm not saying it's like easy or it's like it's not complex, 
But we are called to love people like that. If you're not a Christian, you know, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that nobody is so good that they do not need the redemption of Jesus Christ. And then the good news for those of us who, like, have converted and given our hearts to Christ, it's like, we can't be good enough. You know, we don't have to perform for God. He loves us. You see, to love people is not a compromise. It's a calling. To love people with a limitless love is to be like Jesus. Now, next, loving also means doing. Loving all means doing. Words are important and powerful. Proverbs says that a word aptly spoken is like an apple of gold and settings of silver. It's like sometimes a word is just perfect. And words are powerful. Proverbs also says that they have the power of death and life in them. But you know, love isn't just talking. It's doing. What if in your marriage all you did was talk about love, how much you love, but you never did anything? Don't elbow your husband right now. I mean, how, that wouldn't work. It doesn't work. I love Bob Goff's book, Love Does. Uh, you, whatever you think about Bob Goff or, you know, his book or whatever, I, that title says it, doesn't it? Love Does. You see, Jesus prayed for our sins to be forgiven. He taught us to pray that. But he also taught us to pray for our daily bread, right? And Jesus came to save the crowds, but he also told the disciples to give them something to eat. Love does. Do you realize that um, the money Americans spend every Christmas is 45 times what it would actually cost to give everybody in the world clean water? See, sometimes we can be guilty of talking about God's love without showing God's love in the most basic of ways. James writes about this, James 2.15. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? And then Jesus said in Matthew 25.35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. You know, what strikes me when I read passages like that is that God describes love in a way that just gets down to the nitty-gritty of assuring that the people that he's brought into our circle have basic needs like food and shelter and a circle and acceptance, a roof over their head, not forgotten. It's one of the reasons why since I've been here and I've pounded away on this, I know some of you are probably sick of hearing about it, but the church needs to make a difference in the world. That's why we're engaged with Community Mission of Hope. That's why we've run in the LA Marathon so that people have clean water. It's why we brought World Vision and the Past Compassion International here for you to sponsor kids 
around the world. It's why we have an agape fund, which every communion Sunday, if you bring a $1 bill, we call it our dollar club. Just put a dollar in. Everybody can put a dollar, and that fund just builds, and we use that agape fund to help people that are in need. It's why we set ourselves and we dedicated ourselves here to, to build ministry that, that serves families who have special needs children. It's why we engaged and like did the heavy lift of launching a, a deaf ministry because there are people in this valley that were slipping through the cracks. And we said, what if we loved enough to do something about that? Many of you are a part of that in your giving or in the way that you serve. It's why some of you serve in children's ministry. It's why you greet people at the door. You're just, you're doing something with your faith. And when you give to that, when you serve, you are giving to the cause of Jesus Christ and you are loving people in a very real way. Back in my day, there was a band called the Bellamy Brothers and they sang a song, Let Your Love Show. I won't sing it. No, you don't want it. But my question is, does it? Does my love show? Does yours? Love does. And last, I'm just going to bring it back full circle to what we started talking about in the beginning. Loving all is loving without limits. It's loving without limits. Now, you have limitations, and I have limitations, right? But are we going to focus on what our limits are, what our fears are? Or are we going to focus on God's calling on us as Christ followers? In 1 John 4.11, John writes, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John reminds us that God, every one of us who names the name of Jesus has experienced the grace of God in a remarkable and, and miraculous way. How can we not love back? And Paul writes in Ephesians 5.2 that we're to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. Do you, is there a limit in that? If there is, I don't see it. I'm going to ask the band to come up and while they are, you know, you're probably familiar with this phrase, loveless marriage. You know, loveless marriage is one in which you might still be in it, you're still doing things, but there's something missing. There's also a loveless faith. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 13, when he said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul, in the very first century, the birth of Christianity, the apostles having to address this idea that there's something that can substitute for love, that elevates itself above love. And Paul says, that's bankrupt. That is a loveless faith. 
You know, a loveless faith happens to us the same way a loveless relationship does. We start to focus on all the things that we do. Maybe you've been in arguments with your spouse before where like, you know, there's something missing, there's an expectation, and your comeback is, well, I pay the bills, I go to work, I do the dishes, I make the dinners. We're doing all this stuff, but like there's something missing. What's missing in a, in a marriage and what can end up missing in our faith is the relationship. You know, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he demonstrated God's love in a way that elevated our relationship above all else. Because he said, I, I am here to be with you. And it was his being with us that established it demonstrated for us what it means to live, what, it, what, is, what is important, what, what is it like to have a relationship with God if God was a person. We have Jesus. He gave us his presence. And I think that that's, we have to remember that at this time of year. This Advent conspiracy is all about returning to that, returning to the idea, not everything that you do, not all that you give, not all the expectations that are on you, but like your relationship with God, especially with everything else that's crowding in his competition for your relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's getting all taken, taken up, all the gas and the juice is gone from you, you have nothing left and you end up with a loveless faith. I don't want that. If I could do anything in, in like these four messages for us as a church, and I mean this for us as individuals and for us as a church, a people, because that's what we are here this morning called Sunridge, is to remind you that Christ came to give you his presence in your life. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he demonstrated for us what it's like to love as he loved. In order for us to do that, we're going to have to always put him front and center to worship him fully. We're going to have to detach from our culture, not just in spending, but in some of the things that are pressed upon us that uh, just gather up any kind of steam that we have for God. And we're going to have to find ways to give ourselves because Christ has given himself to us to give ourselves away, our presence to people. That's what it means to love all. Let's pray.